For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome in to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matias Wadner and Will Lomas. We are here to recap a big Titans win, 42-16, over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, even for those of us who were the biggest believers in the Titans, I think uh, had to admit that this was a bit of a shock, at least for them to win in the fashion that they did. We're going to break down every facet of the game because it was a really fun one to watch, and there's a lot of, uh, of takeaways for discussion. We're also going to talk about the most random thing that happened on Wednesday, the day after the game, the Titans trading away outside linebacker Kamale Correa to their division rival, the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're also going to preview the Texans and, of course, have stopped the nonsense. But, guys, before we get into any of that, Let's have a, a post-mortem for this COVID outbreak, because theoretically there could be another one, as we were talking about a minute ago, uh, but at least the first outbreak seems to have fizzled out. So, I, th- you know, some people are sitting here saying, well, I can't believe that the league isn't coming down on the Titans. I mean, I'm kind of shocked after all we were hearing last week and all this news. I don't think it takes someone with formal training in journalism to realize when people are quoting phony sources. Because all of these reports we saw where it's like, the Titans are going to be treated like war criminals by the NFL. They're going to have to wear tutus on the field for the next 10 years and never have a draft pick again, right? All that stuff, it was like, per an executive of another team. These aren't people making decisions. 
they don't know. It was all very weird to me. And you know, honestly, it was – and it wasn't even like a I feel bad for the Titans thing. It, it was just so – it was nonsense. It was it was what we created this podcast to not be. And it was everywhere and constant. And for like that week and a half, I was just so sick of the NFL. I was like, just stop. I'll come back when the Titans start playing again. Yeah, the the per NFL executive source strikes again. Thought we were past that uh, after the NFL draft season because you know people just love to be anonymous and, and spew stuff or even make up sources. Like I don't even know. Well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sitting here. I have a book of journalistic ethics sitting next to me, and one of the principles in that book says: do not allow anonymous sources to simply you know push out their vendetta against somebody. And we saw a lot of that happen last week. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of good journalism going on anywhere right now. <laughs> so I'm not surprised uh, uh, by any of this. We, we also had, uh, I, I hate to shout him out, but Paul Kuharski got like a, a, a crucial detail wrong in one of his stories yes. that made the Times look way worse than what, what had actually happened. Yeah. I'm not saying the Times were in the right. I'm not saying. But the detail that he got wrong was like a huge piece of the entire puzzle. And like that was just that was irresponsible, you know. And unfortunately, we see this a lot in journalism nowadays. It's just actually covering this sport. And yeah, I mean, I'm tired of it. it, it there's a reason like I don't read I don't read other people's work anymore. Yeah. I stopped writing myself. I, I only contribute every now and then an article to Titan Size. But I'm just I got kind of tired of it, got tired of the articles, the reporting that's been, that's been going on. It's just not up to the caliber that I think it used to be. I do want to talk more about the Kaharski thing in a minute, because I think there are some things we can say on that. So uh, but we'll, we'll, what are your sort of thoughts on the postmortem of all of this? I guess I'm just surprised because I don't think I expected the Titans to lose like multiple first round picks or anything like that. But I definitely expected them to lose something. I mean, yeah. I, I still don't know if there will be a fine or whatever because it, I, I don't, I don't know. Like there's I, somebody explained it to me like this, where they have to treat it like they're in the military and they're only for really required or expected to follow the letter of the law. Like if you're supposed to do something, you're supposed to do it. If you're not supposed to do something, you're not supposed to do it. And anything in between is just in between. Well, it's like your so, tweet where you said, you know, I'm convinced that you know, if we found out that they were spitting in each other's mouths, some fans would like, well, yeah. that wasn't a protocol. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like you can tell me that they were not explicitly told and said, you know, like, you're not allowed to go off off campus and practice. But I can't imagine a scenario where in a world where we know how COVID spreads a, at least a little bit, like we know the things we're not supposed to do and having an unregulated practice off campus with no, I mean, like it's not safer away from the facility where you have crews of people there specifically to keep you safe. Like nobody thinks that. So I can't imagine a scenario where they thought they were doing the safer thing by going and practicing themselves. So whether they intentionally violated the letter of the law, I don't know because I don't know what the league told them specifically. The league seems to think they've either been caught in a lie or they've been caught saying something that they 
didn't think they said something like that. It seems like the Titans have basically they have the receipts and that they're technically not at fault for what happened. That that's that's me reading between the lines. But that doesn't mean that I didn't expect them not to get punished. And, you know, the last three days, it, I mean, it's been substantially less pressure on the Titans. And I think part of that is because the Patriots got a player with COVID. And I think the chiefs maybe too, like, you know, when two of your biggest franchises kind of start having the same stuff go on that you had on now, nobody's had it like the Titans where you had 20 people test positive in your facility. And it's been nonstop testing positive day after day after day. Like I'm not saying that anybody messed up that badly, but the fact that there were other major franchises getting positive tests at the same time that had no association with the Titans really helped their case. And it kind of made everybody admit, okay, we're just trying to figure it out. We obviously don't have enough protocols. Let's change the protocols. And as soon as they changed the protocols, the Titans had the moral high ground to say, look, like you obviously know what you're doing is wrong. You know that the system in place is not perfect. And, now you're trying to correct it. So you can't punish us for following at least the letter of the law of what you said here. So I guess I'm just surprised that the sentiment has changed so much that we don't think they're going to be docked any draft picks. I don't know. Like we'll still have to see what happens, but it is a far cry from where we were a week ago at this time. Well, and another thing I want to go back to the Paul Kuharski thing that Matthias mentioned. So if you don't know, Paul Kowarski came out with a report. I don't remember when exactly it was. It was in the midst of all of this turmoil. Uh, saying that the Titans had unauthorized practices at uh, uh, one at Rose Park, which is near Belmont University in Nashville, and then another one at Montgomery Bell Academy, which is a very expensive uh, private middle school and high school. I believe it's a middle school, too, but I know it's a high school in Nashville. Uh, now, here's one thing about this. Steve Lehman from News Channel 5 had tweeted out a week before this that the Titans had practiced at NBA. You can go find that on Twitter. So this wasn't really news. Uh, but, Matthias, you mentioned that he got an important detail wrong. I think he got two important details wrong. So he came out and he admitted that the date of the Belmont workout uh, was incorrect. He reported that it was on September 30th. When it turns out, it was on September 29th, which was the Tuesday that they were initially sent home from the facility. Uh, the other thing that he got wrong was the fact that uh, the players had not been told when they had these workouts that they were not supposed to have them. Uh, and... It was bad journalism. I mean, and it wasn't even like a – like, I don't want to make, you know, inferences on what went wrong there. I just know that, for me, after that news story came out, I started writing a column ripping them. Because if they had been told not to do that and did it anyway and been defiant, uh, what a terrible situation that would have been. But as I was writing that story, I got to the end, and I was sort of making sure my logic was all there. You know, we talk a lot about logic on this show, something that is becoming a lost art in the world. And I'm like, wait a second. D did anyone – when when in the timeline were they told not to uh, go? So I start looking at my records. I look at transcripts from Vrabel press conferences. I looked at stuff on Twitter that had been reported, like the memo 
but I could not find anything that predated the afternoon of the 30th. And so I called uh, Buck Rising, who's one of my coworkers, been on the show a couple times, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm having trouble finding any confirmation that uh, the players knew about this. Is there anything you can think of? He said, oh, they did it. Three players just called me mad at this report that Kaharski made because they hadn't been told this. So this was a situation of not asking enough questions and not thinking through this enough. And when you come out with a journalistic report like that, that really throws people under the bus, there's nothing wrong with simply throwing people under the bus. It has to happen in journalism. And I think that the people whose reaction to that story was, you just hate the Titans, and yet it's a, it's a juvenile reaction. However, if you are going to throw someone under the bus, you've got to do more than just fact check. You've got to logically think through it and not miss that smoking gun, which that fact was. Yeah, I mean, we've actually we've defended him in the past. Oh while yeah, a lot of a lot of Titans fans have said like that his reporting that that he hates the the Titans, like that he's doing this to actively hurt the team. He's not. He is a journalist slash reporter. This is his job. But when you do this job and you get something like this wrong, like you deserve a lot of the s storm that's going to come your way, you know, because this is just crucial information that that does hurt the team like it completely changes the public perception of the players even though they they should not have gathered like that i think we're all in agreement that was a pretty dumb decision but if they did that after they had been told it makes it so much worse so much worse because they're actively breaking the rules which you know at first they weren't doing that technically they weren't doing so uh, it, it just it, it really hurts their public perception. And it also like I'm pretty sure the NFL, while all these all these rumors were coming out that that a terrible punishment was coming the Titans way. This was I think a lot of it was based on like Paul's report. Right. And if if he never corrects that mistake, I don't know, maybe the Titans get a severe, severe punishment. But now knowing that. The Titans didn't actively break the protocols because they hadn't been told yet. Maybe the Titans get off, you know, easy. So, like, that's a huge, it's just like a huge uh, turn of events, you know. It's almost like, I've got a lot of things I want to say about this. Um, It's almost like when you're trying to prosecute somebody and you're relying on a certain witness testimony and then they actually say something wrong in court. And then when you cross-examine them, you can just point out how wrong they are about that one thing and how it affects their credibility. Like, I think what happened is, and and y'all help me with this, can correct me on the dates if I'm wrong, is that the memo came to the Titans office or there was a call or whatever on the 29th and that's the same day the practice was and we don't we don't have a timeline of whether there was communication between the organization and the players we 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 all presume there wasn't because there hadn't been any found so it's almost like the players left you know all basically went to go practice at uh nba and isn't that what it was but yeah it doesn't matter that, yeah, so they, they all left to go practice there, and at the same time, the league office called, 
and I don't know whether it was specifically brought up or whatever, but the point is, is that it wasn't like, like we just said, it wasn't like the league called at seven 30 in the morning and the Titans practiced at five that afternoon and had a meeting somewhere in the middle. So at the very least they have plausible deniability and it makes sense to think that they didn't do it on purpose. Like logic, like you said, says that they wouldn't do it on purpose because they're obviously not getting that much out of a non-padded practice. So I think that, and again, I want to say, I, I don't think the Titans were right. The players were right in what they did. I think they knew better than to do that, but I don't think they were blatantly going against the rules. So what happened is, is why Karski's report is so damaging to the franchise and to the individual players is he presented a timeline where he said they were told on the 29th, they practiced on the 30th, they clearly did the wrong thing. And everybody jumped off of that, including specifically Evan Silva, who was a total dick about all this. He like, you know, he just was like, everybody criticizing Paul Kaharski is, you know, they're losers and all that kind of stuff. And it's different if somebody who follows the Titans and understands why there's a relationship between Paul Kaharski and the fan base that there is where he plays this role where his whole his whole brand of journalism is he's going to ask the hard questions and he's going to tell you the truth you don't want to hear, but it's going to be the truth. And that's fine. That that is that is a necessary part of all this. If it's the truth. But, Correct. But if it's wrong and your whole persona is based on, you know, don't get mad at me for what I find. It's just the truth. And you've you've been very, you know, eager to, you know, step on people and bloody noses along the way and, you know, do the things like screaming at Kevin Dodd and like and, you know, doing all these things where you you build a path to where you're only untouchable because of what you say is true. As soon as there's any crack in that armor, people are going to attack you. Yeah, and so that's what happened. And Evan Silva was following was following along with the story the whole time when it was being built up, and he was like, "The Titans deserve to be smashed for all this," and just the, that same kind of stuff over and over. And that's what should make Titans fans the most upset is Kaharski gave them an insider to quote and to tell people about, and those guys, the national writers, either slammed the Titans on behalf of Kaharski or they fed that information. This is what Mike Florio did. They fed that information to other people and then used their reaction as sources. So let's say Mike Florio talked to the GM of the Jaguars and was like, Hey, this is what I, this is what I've heard. What do you think should happen? And then he says, well, I think they should get penalized. And it's like, yeah, because everything you're, your job is based around depends on them looking worse than you. So that's why it was so damaging is because he was the stepping stone that all these people like started this, you know, campaign to besmirch the Titans reputation. And I, I mean, I'm not above it. I mean, I wrote an article about how everybody should be furious because the, the way the timeline and I, and I've specifically talked about Karski in that article, how, you know, he reported, you know, he did a good job reporting what he reported. His timeline was like basically the key to this whole thing. I mean, that I wrote 
you know, I, I think I said in that article that you know I've not always agreed with Kaharski, but this it's not you shouldn't be mad at Kaharski for this event happening. This was back before he corrected the timeline. So, you know, a few days later he says, you know, oh, actually, uh, it was on the 30th and not, or it was on the 29th, the same day, not the 30th. And then like, doesn't address it. And then goes on the radio and basically says, you know, I I don't know why people are mad at me over this. Who they really should be mad at is Mike Florio. The reason people are mad at you is because you gave Mike Florio the ammo for the story you're complaining about. Like, you you are the problem you know it's yeah. like he's the wick to the dynamite and he's saying i don't know why they're mad at me the dynamite exploded it's like yeah because it's your fault so yeah i guess that's that's my whole thought process well, on this it, it, it was a bad situation from beginning to end and we'll return to this when we get to stop the nonsense when we can talk about our friend uh what's his name the guy that wrote that i can't even remember his name that wrote that like doomsday oh, article Farrar? Is that who oh, it was? For, Doug Ferrar. Ferrar is mine. I, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll hit that when we uh, when we get to stop the nonsense. Let's talk some football, though. Let's talk about the Titans' uh, win over the Buffalo Bills. You know, as I told you guys, I kind of tried to keep attention to the national media today to see what the general uh, you know sports talk radio takeaway was from this game, and most of what I heard very. Uh, uh, a lot of praise for the Titans. Dan Orlovsky was asked on the Dan Patrick show, do you think the Titans are a Super Bowl contender? And he kind of shrugged it off. It's like, why are you even asking? Like, duh. Uh, that was what I wrote after the game last night, was that uh, the Titans are Super Bowl contenders, and they proved it with this win. And and, and so I'll say, I'll, I'll frame our discussion with this question, guys. If the Titans can overcome what they overcame in this game, which was one practice in 16 days, okay, uh, not having key starters due to the coronavirus, including Jeffrey Simmons, Adam Humphreys, uh, Corey Davis, Christian Fulton, and all of this negativity that has surrounded them for two weeks, other than better competition— what aren't they going to be able to overcome? I mean, goodness. Yeah, I mean, at one point during the game, I just thought to myself, like, wow, this this team is good. When's the, when's the last time the Titans have been have been this good, you know? And but... it, rem- it reminds me of a message Will sent to our group chat last week when he said, what is Mike Vrabel good at anyway? <laughs> Yeah, that's culture, which, by the, culture, by the way, baby. Yeah, which by the way is a very important stance that I think we need to talk about at some point. Like, not, I mean, I guess we don't have a bye week to talk about it, but you know, it's weird because there is no way to explain what he does tangibly because there's so much, so many things that are erratic about this team. But yeah, yeah. the one thing, I mean, the one thing that is seemingly true is. There's there's always a good amount of effort given, and we can talk as much we like all we want about the team not getting up to beat up on bad teams. But if a good team comes to town, they do not lay down. Like the, this team has no lay down in them, which is great. But you know it's hard when you watch them play the Vikings and the Jaguars. But when the when the Bills come to town undefeated and you beat the brakes off of them and it's never close, like that that's a pretty good feeling. So. You know, like, 
it, just <clears> a <throat> macro view of the whole thing is, you know, it, this this is what we should have expected based off what Vrabel's shown us in the past. But this is the first time I can remember where the Titans had a home game against a good team and blew them out like they were the Jaguars. I'm going to make a, a, a basketball analogy. Uh, I know they're my two favorite teams, the Titans and the Miami Heat, but they have a lot of similarities. Mike Rabel is, he's not a defensive genius. He's certainly not an offensive genius, but he just gets his players to play for him and he gets the players to play for each other and he puts them in good positions to win. He's clearly a leader of men and that's how the Miami Heat got to the NBA Finals. They're not the most talented team. They're not incredibly efficient on offense. They play hard defense. Uh, they make shots when it matters, but they play for each other. They play together as a unit, and they always pick each other up when they have to. And that's kind of what the Titans are, you know? Granted, the Titans are look like an offensive powerhouse right now, which is crazy. But, but the defense hasn't been stellar this year, but they found ways to win uh, when one player isn't playing well or one unit isn't playing well. Another unit steps up for them. Uh, they take they take control of the game and they end up winning the game. And this is something we haven't been able to say about the Titans for for a really really long time. And it's now one year that not because not all of last season this was happening. I'd say since Tannehill took over, this is this is just what the Titans are. They're going to find ways to win, and sometimes they're going to look really good doing it, which they did last night. How good yeah, is Ryan I mean, Tannehill? Uh, I always said, "Oh, good." Yeah, I was just about to make a. I was just about to make a Ryan Tannehill is Jimmy Butler comparison. Well, that's so, that's great. I've always I've always said they're very similar. Oh, okay. So yes. let's talk about Tannehill <laughs> then. Uh, Matthias, you tweeted this out from the No Nonsense account last night that the Titans gave up a fourth round pick and got in you know top eight to ten quarterback in the NFL. And I've seen today, you know, people comparing his stats over the last 17 games to Patrick Mahomes. I've seen people comparing his stats over the last 17 games to Lamar Jackson. And it stacks up. You know, it's it's sort of the same. Obviously, you know, Jackson's going to have more rushing yards than him, and he's going to have more passing yards than, than Jackson. But in terms of some other metrics, it's very similar. And, and so, you know... <laughs> I think people are starting to catch on to what we knew, the three of us at least, in 2019, which is this is not an anomaly. This is not some kind of a hot streak. There was a great tweet last night. Matthias, you, you, you're the one that put this on my timeline. I can't remember who tweeted it. Try to re- If you can remember. It, said something it was Frank like, Schwab okay. from Yahoo. And, and he, start, he said something along the lines of, as bizarre and weird as this is, it's time to admit that Ryan Tannehill just went to a new team and went from above average serviceable starter to elite player who makes everyone else around him better. And that's what's happened. Yeah, uh, word for word, he said, well, this was an article, but this was like the tweet to the article. He said, at some point, what Ryan Tannehill did in Miami and even the fair points about regression from last season just don't matter. It's time to come to terms with the fact that while this is one unusual story, Tannehill is pretty darn good. 
And how for how long have we been trying to, to get this point across that the Tannehill of Miami is gone? It's it's gone. He's but on the a Tannehill of Miami team. was good. He, I mean, he wasn't this good, but people people act like he was Jamarcus Russell in Miami. No, I know. It, 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 regardless, he is improved to 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 a level that that none of us expected. But this is what he is. He's done this for already a year now, and I don't see it changing. I mean, maybe the maybe the the red zone efficiency rate is going to drop at some point, but it it just continues to not drop. Uh, I saw a crazy stat. They're like eighty five percent touchdown the like touchdown rate in the red zone with Tannehill under center. It's absurd, man. I don't understand how that's possible, but he just always seems to make the right decisions. And this offense is is just perfectly suited to him, while at the same time, he has so much freedom to make calls at the line, make checks at the line, audible into into what he feels is going to work. And he's absolutely earned that because he keeps calling the right plays, he keeps moving the chains, and he keeps putting the ball in the end zone, which is just the most important part of it all. I mean, to your red zone point, Matias, they scored 42 points last night. And after three straight games in which Steve Guskowski hit the game winner, we did not see him last night outside of kickoffs and PATs. Yeah. And I think something that really helps everybody understand how good Tannehill is, is Derrick Henry's not blowing anybody away. It, you know, it was so easy to say, yeah, like Tannehill's fine, but he didn't have to do anything. Cause look at this monster who gets it 22 times and has 200 yards. Like, and that's what he was doing in the playoffs, and that's what people automatically assumed. But what we try to tell people is, look, like, Tannehill's not just a guy who grabs onto the back of Derrick Henry's pads and is along for the ride. Like, he, Derrick Henry's been here for, you know, four or five years. Like, I mean, this is his fifth year. Like, it's not like he's some new player on this team and he's suddenly elevating them. Like, it's the other way around. Tannehill's the guy that came in and helped elevate the offense to where they didn't just need to rely 100% on Derrick Henry. And now on national television, he goes out and puts up, you know, three passing touchdowns and another rushing touchdown on a team that everybody had already anointed, you know, the dark course in the AFC behind the Chiefs and Ravens, even though the Titans beat the Chiefs and Ravens last year. Like, it was good for people to see that Tannehill can completely drive an offense by himself. And that's what he did. And he looked, it looked effortless doing it. Like he, he, this is a game where people would look at the stats and they'd say, okay, well he has 195 passing yards. So the three touchdowns and the other rushing touchdown must've just been a fluke because everybody was paying attention to Henry. But you look at Henry's stat line, he had 19 carries for 57 yards. So he averaged three yards a carry. Like, in any other day, if you saw that Tannehill had 195 yards you would ex- and the Titans put up 42 points, you would expect a monster day from Henry, and that's just what people assumed was happening because nobody watches Titans games even though they refused to stop talking about how the Titans are going to regress. So it was good that you know through all of this crap that they had to go through that they got a primetime game where everybody could at the very least watch the team for once before talking about them. I want to talk about Derrick Henry for a second because it hadn't been great, guys, with him so far this year. Um, I don't know exactly what his yards per carry average is. It can't be much higher than three, perhaps even lower. 
He had one play last night that, that you know, obviously the stiff arm. But but in addition to that, there was really one play that made you say, okay, there, that's Derrick Henry, and it was the uh, the touchdown in garbage time where he bounced it out to the outside. So how much of this, guys, is teams just selling out to stop him? Is it him? Is it the blocking? What, what's going on there? I think Will could probably give a more X's and O answer. Me, just personally from watching these games – uh, he looks slow. He's not breaking as many tackles as, as we're used to. Uh, but we're kind of used to this, right? He starts slow, he picks it up probably like week seven, week eight, and then just goes on a, on a crazy run ten, 10 in the season. He's done that the past two seasons. So I think he has the benefit of the doubt. We should give him the benefit of the doubt that that's going to happen. That said, that that looks really far away right now because he does not look good. He doesn't look confident running the ball. He's not breaking tackles. He's not hitting the hole very aggressively. He never really has. He's always been more of a patient, slow-starting running back. But nothing is working. And on the few – I think Darrington Evans, got, Darrington Evans got like two carries. He just looked way more explosive. Obviously, he's smaller and, he, and he's quicker. But I don't know. I would like to see Henry attack the line of scrimmage like that uh, uh, more often. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, we should give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to get better. But this has been kind of brutal to watch. Will, while Will is explaining what he thinks about this, Matthias, you're our, our crack research team. Here's a stat I want you to find out. What is his long run this year? Because I it, think it's that- 16. 16. Oh, gosh. And his yards per carry is 3.7. Better than I expected, honestly. Yeah. But. Because, uh, like, Henry, well, people people think because he's big, Derrick Henry is Eddie George. Still people think that. He's not. He's not, you know, four yards, five yards in a cloud of dust, you know, trucking guys. He's explosive plays. That's what he predicates on. And uh, there hadn't been any of those. Yeah. I mean, well, I think we've always said that he's – Chris Johnson, but he ate a Mario like mushroom. Like he's just bigger. And then he also has that stiff arm from hell where he just kills people with it. But I mean, it's, there's very clearly a commitment when Henry's on the field to take Henry away. And that has to be incredibly frustrating for Henry. So I think what that does is the, the, the Titans usually face defenses that put eight guys in the box or seven, but they like slant really hard towards Henry. Like it's very clear that they want to take Henry away and not like we're going to take Henry away in our alignment. It's like their responsibilities are, we don't really care about your bootleg. We don't really care about him cutting the ball back. We're going to try to get guys in the backfield and not, not worry about contain because if he builds up speed, we're dead. Like, it doesn't matter if we're technically right or whatever. Like, we're going to be in trouble. So they're always attacking and always downhill. And because you've got eight versus seven or six in in these scenarios, there's people that come free and they've just been able to get, you know, they've just been able to hit him. And it keeps getting explained away like 55 of his 57 yards last night were before or after contact. And it's like, yeah, but the problem is like, Derrick Henry is a guy who should create yards after contact because he's so big, first of all. But it's not that he's getting contacted and he's making plays out of it. 
it's that he's not attacking single players like he used to, like or like he did last year. So I guess the first part of the question is defenses are trying harder to stop him than any other play on the field, and they're trying to stop him more than they're trying to stop other running backs when they come in. The blocking is not bad, but the Titans' offense isn't about we're going to line up guys and drive you straight back. Their defense is about, or their offense is about, we're going to run one side. We're going to, you know, we're going to run our zone one side or the other, and our job is to just get in front of you and stop you from having a clear shot at Henry. And Henry's job is to build up speed, find a hole, and burst through it and get to the second level. And that works when. Even against an eight-man box, it works. If you're seven, block seven, and then Derrick Henry runs through the arm tackle of a linebacker. But when he's not confident and he's not building up steam into that second level, he's just a six-foot-three, 250-pound guy who's got no speed behind him. Because, I mean, he doesn't have lightning-quick acceleration. That's never been his game. He's a long strider. He's a guy who needs five or six yards of buildup speed before he really becomes dangerous. But I mean, he's not getting that because the defense isn't giving it to him. And he's not just saying, okay, I'm going to run full downhill hill. And you know, it's evident. Now I will say this, you can go back to the Minnesota game and you can see times where he clearly says, you know, I think in the red zone, a couple of times he does it where he says, you know, I don't care if I get, knocked on my butt like i don't care if somebody comes in helmets and helmets to helmet with me like i know that i'm gonna hit this a gap it's gonna be right there and i'm gonna hit it full speed and when he does that it it always looks like that play where he like need jalen ramsey in the face back when the titans took on the jaguars with like a gimpy mariota like it's just like those are the type of plays where you're like oh yeah that's right he is incredibly strong and fast when he wants to be but i mean He's just he's just not hitting it like that all the time, and that's the problem. So, you know, next up the Titans have the Texans. And this is a team that their season, unlike the Titans, has uh, not gone very well. We're going to talk about the Texans in just a second. First, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back from that break, I want us to think about this. You know, we talk about all the time – you throw out the record when it's a division game. I think we saw a little bit of that when the Titans played the Jaguars, a team that has been very bad this year. Uh, the Jaguars also beat the Colts, you know, a division game. Uh, this is the Titans' second division game this year. So when we come fa- back from the break, guys, I want us to talk about that. Is this a game where we could kind of sit here and say, you know, we expect the Titans to beat up on this team because they're not very good? Or is it a situation where, these are still the Texans, it's still Deshaun Watson, it's still J.J. Watt, and you never know what you're in for. We're going to answer that question in 30 seconds. All right, guys, so let's talk about it with this uh, Titans team against the Texans. Is this a situation where fans should expect a similar treatment like what we saw the Titans do to the Bills? Or do you think this might be one of those Texans games where you know the Titans make it harder than it needs to be? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, like you said, division games are always weird, but this Texans team is bad, man. Like, this is not a good team. This is not a good team. Gr- granted, this is, we've said this about Texans teams in the past, and 
granted, Bill O'Brien is gone, and we see in teams a lot of times when the coach gets fired, uh, the interim coach comes in and they just start playing better because the players probably didn't like the coach and didn't like playing for him. We all know no one liked playing for Bill O'Brien. We, we've heard all the stories. So it's possible that they come out in this game with a renewed sense of urgency, renewed sense of pride, uh, and they play better than than they have in in th- this entire season. Uh, they weren't great against the Jaguars, honestly. Like they, they played well. They they played well, well enough to win by 16 points, but they didn't dominate as much as the the box score would say. Deshaun Watson threw through two interceptions. Uh, one of them was uh, actually both of them were kind of bad decisions. I don't know. He's been kind of. He's been really hot and cold this year, mostly cold. But I don't want to, you know, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> and then he just starts throwing dimes the entire, uh, the entire game yeah. against the Titans. But I don't know that this Texans team just doesn't really scare me a lot. JJ Watt hasn't been the the same JJ Watt of the past, uh, which is expected because he's getting up there in age. They have no playmakers on defense. Zach Cunningham is. Fine. He started. He played okay this past week, but he was one of PFF's lowest-graded linebackers for the first couple of weeks of the season, and that's a guy that gave fourteen and a half million years per year to. So I don't know. This team isn't very good, but as we've seen in the past, division games can be very tricky. Uh, plus, the Titans are on short rest, and they're also coming off a pretty, you know, emotional victory against the Bills. I wouldn't be surprised if they fall into this trap, but the Titans are just a better team than the Texans, and they should be expected to win. Yeah, I mean, the Titans are definitely the better team. Uh, There's going to be a lot of injury report stuff this week, but uh, I think it was McKinney, is that right, who went on injured reserve? Like, they they're going to talk about like or we're going to see a bunch of reports where it looks like they're pretty healthy but that is something to take note of so they're down one of their starting linebackers for i believe the whole season i think it's like a season ending injury so that's pretty important for the titans um you know if if adori doesn't come back which there's no indications that he's coming back the titans get back christian fulton they have A.J. Brown, which they didn't have for the first big chunk of the season. They get uh, Adam Humphreys back, who came back. They get they should get Jeffrey Simmons back, hopefully soon. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the team that we just saw beat the Bills, you know, 42 to 16 and, you know, just throttled them. So it makes so much sense to just say they're going to get reinforcements then they're going to play against a team who's one and four. Surely it's going to be a beatdown. But I just don't know how this game doesn't come down to some three-point play. Like, it, for whatever reason, it feels like one of those games where the Titans are going to get up ahead 14-0. to zero, Then they're going to mess around just like they did against Jacksonville. And the, the, you know, the Texans have better weapons. And they're going to come down and make it a game. And then it's whether the Titans can get back up for, you know, playing 100% and winning the game. And... You know, I don't know. Like, it, it's a home game, which helps. That You know, the Titans are getting healthier, and they don't have to travel on a short week or anything like that. That helps. There's a new play caller in the middle of the defense. So, I mean, there's things that make 
logical sense. But like you said, Luke, like sometimes you just have to throw the record book out and say, like, can you see Deshaun Watson beating the Titans? And I'm not a big Deshaun Watson believer. I think he's very erratic. But one of the things he does really well is he extends plays and creates time. And we saw Josh Allen do that last night. And I mean, it it looked like on third and 11, it looked like he could just throw the ball up straight up in the air and somebody would come down with it in a Bills jersey. Like it looked like we had defenders who just weren't able to close quick enough or they weren't able to follow on a scramble drill. And we, I mean, we all know what's going to happen. The Titans have the worst third down defense in the NFL, not hyperbole. They're 32 out of 32 in terms of conversions allowed. Like, so that's, that's going to be a problem. So, I mean, I expect this to be another high-scoring game, more like Jacksonville than it was like the Bills, and it's just going to come down to which players make plays. You know, Will, you make a good point. The question isn't so much, do the Titans beat this year's Texans team? It's, can you see Deshaun Watson beating the Titans? Which is something we've seen a handful of times already. I will say this, though. Historically, when it comes to these interim coaches, because the Texans fired you know Bill O'Brien, uh, you don't want to face him in the first game because that's typically like a rally the troops. We're mad that you know some of them at least that coach that we liked is gone. Others are embarrassed and it lights a fire under them and they get that win. The Titans saw it firsthand back in uh, I want to say 2015 uh, at the hand Dan of their Campbell. current yeah at the hand of their current quarterback. And, uh, and Dan Campbell. And so, oh. because the, the, you know, the Texans won their first game with Romeo Cornell, I think this has potential to be a settle-down game for them. It's like, okay, back to reality. We stink. And uh, I think that that's kind of how I see this going. It is weird to think about, though. And, and last thing before we move into talking about Kamala Correa. You know, I had this moment before the Vikings game. The Titans were 2-0, and going to a hostile environment, albeit one without fans, still, you know, an NFC team far away. And someone asked me that morning, friend, they're like, what do you think? I said, I think the Titans are going to lose. This is just a game the Titans lose. And I thought the same thing last night. You know, the Titans don't go 4-0. and you, know, tr- you know, back in 2008 they did. But the Titans don't go 4-0. And so you're still sitting here thinking the Titans, you know, Titans don't go 5 and 0. But how many times have we had moments like that? And I remember writing after the Colts game that they won in 2019 that the same old Titans argument needs to go out the window. And I need to start listening to myself on that one because guys, how many times over the last let's say 6 months or so have we, you know, well, you know, the tight the Titans don't win that game at the end of the season. It's going to get them in the playoffs. Well, okay. Well, this isn't a game the Titans win. You know, they made the the playoffs and they won their first playoff game, but they're, they're facing the Baltimore Ravens. The, the Titans don't go to the AFC Championship. I mean, that's not who the Titans are. I, I, I you know, they've they've transformed. We we've seen John Robinson build this team back up after the two and three win seasons. Now you have Mike Frabel coming in here establishing his regime and his agenda. And I think it's time to stop saying things like that because unless they show us, which they haven't in a long time, 
you know, the same old Titans kind of crap, they're not anymore. Yeah, I th- I think we've said that about every every single game this this season, because the Broncos game we had all those missed kicks by Goskowski, and then came like the final kick, uh, with with regulation, you know, with the, with the time running down, and you're like, uh, the, the Titans just never win this game. Same thing happened with the Jaguars, where Minshew's throwing all over them for some reason out of nowhere. Uh, you thought they were going to lose that one. Like you said, the Vikings won, and then, and then the Bills won. You weren't expecting a blowout. In fact, given the tight end situation and so many players missing, you were probably expecting them to lose, but they come out and play like that. So, yeah, I, I mean, they, they definitely seem like a different Titans team than, than, we've, than we've ever seen. Uh, I mean, it's different than the one from last year, I, I would say. Uh, granted, with Tannehill, we did— uh, won a lot of games and we made it to the AFC Championship, but we still had a couple losses there that, that that were frustrating. We haven't had that yet this season. I'm sure they're coming at some point, but until they do, we just have to keep assuming that the Titans are going to pull these wins out. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how to say it any different than y'all said. It's one of those things where I think we've been so like abused from a fan standpoint where every I can't emphasize this enough every time the Titans have gotten a shred of respect from the national media or they've gotten praised at all they've come out and immediately laid on their face and then gotten embarrassed it's happened great point it happened with that that's why the Bills game this week felt like such a terrible game because it was like nope that's it like you go three and zero, then everybody talks about how you don't cover the spread. You somehow get the Bills again, who always seem to, you know, just completely deflate the Titans when they play them. And, and you know, you have a chance to go four and zero against a team that really matters. There's no way they don't just completely come in and kick our teeth in. And you know, that's not what happened for the first time in. I mean, I guess since last year's playoffs, but before that, like in the regular season, like, I mean. It's been a long time since the Titans have, you know, not squeaked their way in a position where they made the playoffs or not barely beat a good team that they weren't expected to beat. Things like that. I mean, somebody came to their house and they beat them for four quarters up and down however they wanted to do it. And then they bounced them right out. Like, I mean, that that's that's what you hope you see from your team at any point in the season, much less in kind of a statement game like this. So, you know as much as we talk about we've got to completely retrain the way our brain thinks and we've got to like listen to our own advice. I know that on Sunday I'm going to be, you know, in, in my head talking about, well, the Titans could lose this game because of this and four and one's not that bad because of this, but it would have been nice to be five and it would before the games even started because I've just been put in this position so many times where I've watched the Titans have a big game that, you know, okay, this is an AFC South game it's a game, you know, you win this game and you're in a commanding position in, in the division, blah, 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 blah. And then if you lose this game, it's not, it doesn't end your season, but it's not great. Like, and then they lose that game. That That's just what happens all the time is the Titans of old have preferred to be teams that barely make it instead of teams that announce they're there and then fight off all challengers. So, you know. I hope I hope we're wrong. I hope this continues to go on, but I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I don't start or where I don't immediately expect that that's going to happen. 
Let's talk quickly before we get into Stop the Nonsense, because I want us to have plenty of time for that, about Kamale Correa. Apparently, he requested a trade after this game. I can't say that I blame him. They're not really playing him. He was at active on uh, on Tuesday night, even before he got the coronavirus and before Vic Beasley uh, entered the fold. He was not playing very much. Traded to the Jaguars. Titans flipped a seventh-round pick for a sixth-round pick. I mean, I think the consensus is just good job, maybe for both sides. Yeah, well, I mean, we might move up like 50 spots in the draft, so so that's cool. I mean, Correa wasn't doing anything this season, really. He helped us down the stretch last year, so it's interesting that, you know, he felt like he just didn't want to be here anymore, but I get it. I get it. He wants to play, probably earn earn a final contract before he probably retires at some point in a couple of years. So I understand it. Good, good for him. I, I, I guess good for the times for actually recouping something when they had already said that they were going to release him anyway. So good for John Robinson to actually get something in return. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the drill Casey trade all over again, except they get a six round pick this year and not a six round pick down the road. And, they only get a million dollars off the book instead of uh, $10 million for a few years. So, I mean, like, like I said, you know, good job. Like anytime you can get rid of somebody that you weren't using anyway and get, you know, a pick that, you know, six round is where David long got picked. Um, I'm not going to go through all the, all the six round picks the Titan have ever had, but the point is like, you want more and not less. Like, I don't know. Like, there, it wasn't like there was going to be somebody who came out and paid Kamala Correa $10 million next year, and you got a compensatory pick that was worth anything more than that. So, I mean, really, this is just kind of free-found money. Let's talk now about some nonsense. This is going to be one of the best ones we've ever had, because as we teased at the beginning of the show, there's been a lot of it this past week. And, Will, you mentioned that you want to do Doug Farrar for yours so let's just start with that. Let's start hot. Tell us about the uh, tire fire that Doug Farrar of the NFL Wire posted last week. Yeah, so, I mean, my whole thing, so I, think, I think we're talking about the same thing. My whole thing started with uh, the power rankings, which I didn't notice until somebody pointed it out to me like two days ago because I just don't really know who like know enough about Doug Farrar to care about what he says but so Doug Farrar like apparently people know him and respect him and all that and that's great he had the Titans 32nd uh in his week four power rankings after they had a COVID outbreak because you know apparently they were choosing to get sick and the Titans all wanted to get COVID and all that kind of stuff but it's uh, I'll, I'll just read to you kind of what he said. So in his power rankings, he moved the Titans from ninth to 32nd. And he said, after talking about how they'd blatantly disregarded the COVID protocols and how they were spitting in the face of the league and all that, he said, there's no reason for this, just pure hubris. And if the Titans aren't going to take COVID seriously, we're not going to take them seriously as a corporate organization. The stakes are too high on and off the field. And, this was sort of the peak of the well no there's there's more things that were terrible but this is one of the different peaks of we're holier than thou because 
the people we follow and favor didn't get sick. This is the epitome of, you know, everybody, everybody crushed the Titans. And if you're not crushing the Titans, then it's because you don't care about COVID. And so it, it was a perfect crystallization because the thing about power rankings is they're updated weekly. So there was no way that Farrar could keep them at 32. And he had to have known that. And he had to have hoped that the Titans got absolutely crushed so he could put him somewhere in the middle of the rankings and just not have to address this. But instead of that, he moved them up to four this week after being 32. So a nice 28 points or a 28 spot jump in the power rankings. But he basically equated it to, you know, well, the Titans did everything wrong, but, you know, they, they were lucky enough to win. And it's one of these things where instead of just saying, you know what, I overreacted in the moment, which everybody should say, because I think there was some of that on all sides. But Doug Farr, instead of just saying I overreacted, I didn't understand all the facts. I was wrong. The Titans didn't clearly do, you know, any of the the things we've talked about to this point about people slam the Titans for the covid protocol stuff. He had he had the perfect option to sit down and say, look, I'm sorry. This is a good team. I shouldn't have been so harsh. They're very well coached. They did everything, you know, right on the field. He just kind of said, oh, yeah, so this is a top five team. I guess I had them at 32 last week. It's not my fault that they chose to break the rules. And that whole sort of attitude is is my stop the nonsense for this week because it is so frustrating for people to go out and just spout all this nonsense and have no accountability. At the very least – Paul Kaharski had the accountability to say, you know what? I got the date wrong. He could have just ignored it and never talked about it again, but he fessed up and confessed. I got the date wrong. I, I was irrationally mad about some things. And that has to be the bare minimum for what we expect from these people going forward. What I was, you know, I thought you were going to get into the Doug Farrar Titans need to be canceled for all time thing. I, I see. Yeah. I didn't, I never clicked on that article. (laughs) Like, I, cause, cause I, I, I couldn't just... help it. I couldn't help it. Yeah. I mean, it, it was getting shared around. I went to the park for a few hours to do some writing. And when I came back, the world had fallen apart. Like, I, I, I had been sent this thing and it was everywhere on my timeline. And, I mean, the worst quote from this is uh, that, quote, is this worse than the unspeakable acts? Mike Vick supported against animals. When you break it down, yes. Doug Farrar is one of those people that, like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch myself there. I'm not gonna say anything yeah. that I'm gonna regret. I will say but y'all, this, y'all though, can read between the lines. Yeah, <laughs> lack of accountability, absolutely. And like I told you guys, and I have no problem saying this on air because I don't think it's hyperbole. That may be the. I don't know that strange is the word like worst article I've ever read. Like, like that article was like on something. It's, it's, it's like, you know, if you take like, I'm not talking about like marijuana or something like that, like a really heavy, like hardcore drug. Like you're not yourself. You're like another being tobacco. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that was what was possessing this article. It was just, very, very, like, 
Oh, what's what am I thinking of? Uh, L, like LSD or something like that is what this article was on. It was very, very strange. A lot of very aggressive and just simply untrue claims, like riddled with hyperbole. Thing, you know, this is the worst thing to ever happen, and and the Titans all need to be, you know, executed in downtown Nashville at the guillotine. He didn't actually say that, but. That was sort of the tone of this thing. It was very weird. Uh, so I'm glad we got to, to bring that up on here because my first thought upon reading that was that is sort of why we created this segment. And also I, I tweeted, I said, it looks like the NFL gave Barry McCockner a writing job when he said that this is worse than Mike Vick. Because that's Barry McCockner's yeah. favorite thing to do is he takes something that's like not that bad and says this is worse than and throws in like – some of the worst things to ever happen, like 9-11 or the Holocaust. And this felt a little bit like that. Anyway, my Stop the Nonsense, and I've been chewing on this one for a while. You know, I'm surprised I haven't brought it up earlier, but it, it, it's just really gotten to me this week. If There are probably a lot of UT fans, University of Tennessee, listening to this because our demographic is you know about 40% people in Tennessee. Please, for the love of all that is good and holy, stop talking about Butch Jones. You all are obsessed with this man. Every time your team does something good, you bring him up. Every time your team does something bad, you bring him up. When Nick Saban got the coronavirus, I saw four different comedians who were having shows at Zany's later in the week talking about, maybe uh, Butch Jones is going to replace him. (laughs) Stop! Like, could you imagine if every time the Titans score a touchdown, me or, or Will or Matias tweeted, but, but Ken Wiz- I, I know I know Ken Wisenhunt would have never done that. <laughs> Got him. It's not funny anymore. It's like this weird obsession you have with your crazy ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you claim you're over but, like, also can't stop talking about. Well, you're a UT alum. You can probably shed a little bit of light on this. Am I off base here? No, it it is. And again, like like you said, I've graduated UT. I, I I love the Vols, but it is very frustrating to watch the fan base evolve and just be like. And it happens every off season too, where there will be a head coaching job open and they lose their mind because the Titans still, or the, the Titans, the Bulls still owe him like part of his salary because that's the way coaching works. And they're like, yeah. he should have gotten fired. Like he should have tried to get this job, or like why didn't he be in you know picked for this job? Did he get offered this job? And then every time he goes and interviews for a job and doesn't get it, people just like lose their mind. Like it's a conspiracy theory. Like, and I love conspiracy theories, but like they're crazy where they're like he didn't want to take this multi million jo- dollar job because he would rather stay and be Nick Saban's whipping boy. It, it for yeah. Times, the best way I can the best way I can compare it is. It's like, you know how all those people who don't like Mariota are always like, Mariota, oh, he, he would have made that throw, right, guys? How all those guys suck, and we hate listening Except to them. Except those guys it's have become that, the minority now, and like they're just kind of like hiding under yes. rocks, and we don't hear from yes. them very often. The right. Butch Jones like, people like are everywhere. They, they are prominent. Like they're, they're the vocal majority. Like they're, they're very loud and they're everywhere and you can't get away from it. It's like, it's at the gym. It's at the grocery store. Like people hate Butch Jones. And let me say this. I'm a Vols fan. He didn't recruit very well and he didn't get out of the way of his coaches. 
he's also probably their like second best coach in the last 30 years. Yeah. Like behind just Fulmer. from a, yeah, behind former and like, I mean, well, he I mean, had, Pruitt is better than him, I would think, but do what Pruitt is, is better than him. I would think, I mean, Pruitt, we, we can have this argument. Fear, yeah. The, the point yeah. Is but the point is like, the point is like, get over him, like appreciate him for bringing guys through your program who are good. And just be happy that he brought Alvin Kamara onto your team so that he could be a backup, even though. That's another thing. It's not even every time he makes a play, it's every time they hand him the ball. Butch Jones! Butch Jones didn't use him! Yeah. You guys do suck. Uh, I'm up, I, I guess. I didn't know if, if we wanted to turn this into a Vols podcast for the next hour. <laughs> Stop we could. I don't, I don't know enough about them, but I'm sure Will and, Will and Luke do. Uh, okay, so my Stop the Nonsense, more, more, more really bad quote-unquote journalism from Deadspin this time, who I thought they were done. I, I, I didn't even know they were still making content. So Julie DeCaro... Now, I've heard of her name before. I don't know. I guess she's a writer. She uh, wrote something about Adam Schefter. The title is Breaking. Adam Schefter is a vacuous turd. I don't know what vacuous means. Who embodies <laughs> white male privilege. Okay, that's that's some start to the article. I'm going to give you guys <laughs> that's a couple aggressive. Of, I'm going to give you guys a couple of excerpts here. So, she starts us off saying, "Sports media is overpopulated by privileged white people, myself included." Ah, how I, how ironic. What a way to start the article. But it's especially populated by privileged white men who are never called to account for their privilege or use it in any constructive way. America seems by and large okay with this. She goes on to say, but sometimes a white media person does something that evidences such terrible judgment, such a lack of compassion or care for the people they cover, that it merits calling them out on it. Witness, then, this tweet from ESPN's Adam Schefter. I mean, you got to assume he What does this have to do with race at all? I don't know. Wait until (laughs) you get to the tweet. So the tweet is... Three weeks from today is a hugely significant day with potential ramifications for years to come. The NFL trade deadline. Oh, clever. I thought that was funny when I read it this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, the presidential election is is in that same time in three weeks. So Schefter made a joke about it, you know. And Julie DeCaro says this is a poor attempt at humor during a good year and a F you to every non-white person who has been who has been and continues to be deeply affected by the actions and policies of Donald Trump in 2020. You gotta be kidding me. Oh my god, I can't even get through this. This is real? <laughs> this is real. This is on Deadstone. You could go look at it right now. How have I not seen this? Oh my gosh. You- I'm going to keep going. He doesn't have to worry about these things. You see, as a white man with a high-paying gig, he doesn't have to think about the same things you do. Schefter has built his career and reputation on covering a league that is 70% black. Okay, she goes on and then says, at what point, though, do we start holding people accountable for bad jokes that actively ignore ignore harm to others in the name of scoring some Twitter likes? Mm. Uh, Do you think she knows that Rappaport got suspended for like three weeks from... Escape ad, <laughs> like 
They get held accountable for everything. Oh, I, just... I wouldn't want to see the article she wrote about him promoting Manscaped because that's yeah. misogyny, potentially. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. No, this was this was just awful, man. Like, I, like, she's doing the same thing. She's just trying to get likes with this terrible article with that title. Come on, man. And, and let me say this. I think there is a fine line because a, a lot of people – you know, in the wake of the George Floyd thing, when when our nation started having more discussions about racial tensions and things like that, a phrase that got thrown out a lot of times was virtue signaling. You know, someone just simply saying things that, out of a self-righteous attitude to make others feel bad and to build themselves up. And I think there needs to be a line drawn because during that discussion, and, and it's an ongoing discussion, there are a lot of good-natured people who simply want to educate people. I would put, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that does uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Why am I blanking on him? Yeah, Emmanuel Acho. Uh, yeah. He's one of those. He, he's genuinely trying to educate people. But the problem with this is you have these, like this woman that wrote this article, that it's just craziness where we have gone from let's have a discussion, let's educate each other and become a better society to I'm going to call everyone a racist and and make these major logical hula hooping. And that's why so many people just totally tune this discussion out. And as someone that thinks we need to have some of these discussions because racism is still a problem in America – We've got to stop – I hate to – I'm not trying to brand ourselves here. But we have to stop the nonsense where we're not actually having conversations that are helpful. We're just using buzzwords and, like you said, Matias, just trying to get clicks. Because not only is that not helping anything, it's turning people off because no one wants to read something where they're getting called a racist and a sexist just for existing. Yeah. This is uh, – uh, just, just quickly, like this is – this has been going on for years, years, where we just become outraged by the smallest, most minute details. And I don't know why this happened. Like, I'm I'm pretty openly liberal, but I feel like people just get so upset about stuff that is not that important, and it's not that serious. Like, that, that tweet was not that serious. It was just a joke, man. Like yeah. Like relax, relax. Take take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Focus on more important things and just 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 live your life. And live stuff like life. stuff like that is why Barry McCockner is funny. Because he'll tweet things like that satirically. Yes. But people actually behave that way. Yeah. It's 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 very difficult because I think I think something that it's very like again, you know, I'm I'm why it's it's hard for me to put myself in that mindset, but I think what I've tried to do during during all this is uh, you try to educate yourself and you try to make sure what you're doing is, you know, if you if you do say something like that, it's not only coming from a place that's like free of hate, or also that you try to make sure it's the right time. Like if if he makes that if he makes that joke seven weeks ago or, or something like that it's not the right time like that that is not the right time for this but we're right now everybody is getting sorry maybe not everybody i know it's definitely me is getting messages from barack obama and like all these things on 
in their inbox and stuff that's just basically yeah. like you need to vote for this party or it's like Trump it Trump's team that's like you know make America great again it's like it, they're flooding your inbox now like you see it everywhere you look everybody is screaming to vote and you absolutely should it is it is your right and your duty as an American citizen to do that or at least to understand you have the right to exercise your right to vote like that that is very important to know and I think the more information we have on that the better but at the same time like I read that as more of he used a lead that we all have in our inbox 30 times over and he just turned it to something else. And I thought, I thought it was very funny. Like, you know, even listening back to trying to, you know, strip, strip white privilege or whatever you want to say, like, I don't, I don't understand how that could be misconstrued so far, except if you're, if what you're trying to do is just race bait and like make, Make yourself, you know, like you said, virtue signal and just kind of make an article that people who want to be mad or want to root against a certain system like the NFL or whatever. Like if you want to root against that, you're actively trying to find these kinds of articles so you can be mad and reference that later. But I don't see how anybody, a neutral observer could look at that and come away with that conclusion. Yeah, it's just it's it's nuts. Man, I thank you for I didn't know this existed. I'm thank you for pointing this out, Matthias. Cool. Uh hopefully You're welcome. Yeah, as as we close out the episode, hopefully, unlike the last couple of weeks, there won't have to be an addendum at the beginning of by the way, we recorded this before six more people got the coronavirus. Um hopefully all of that has passed us, uh and, and we can just get back to doing what we do best in this covering the Titans and talking football. Until next time, for Willow Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense.